Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. We stand before you, Lord, giving praises and an offering of thanksgiving, our worship to you. Abba, Father, you deserve all the glory and all the praise and the majesty and the glory. We come because of your love, that love, a wounded love that flows with such abundant, amazing, reckless love, that you sent Jesus such abounding and you get wounded love that brings a salvation we're reminded of the cross we're reminded of the atonement we're reminded oh God for that which there was no other way he becomes the way where there was no other life he becomes our life and he becomes to us our very life itself you are the air we breathe you're the very food we eat your very reason why we live, we come to thank you and to praise you. Reach out to your people, Lord, this morning. Precious ones that are here and the many that are watching, only you could touch specific needs, specific areas. You know the hearts of God, every sigh, every cry they make to you, no matter where they are. Reach out to them, Lord God in their lives, in their home, in their jobs, in their welfare, and even in their health and spiritual being. Bring salvation, bring healing and deliverance, we pray in the name of Yeshua, Amashia, our Lord, our Savior. Now to you, Father, we give glory and honor and praise. Oh God, let there be an anointing of your Holy Spirit, the anointing of our Lord Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome, precious ones, being with us this glorious Sunday morning. And want to welcome everyone and those that are watching as well. Thank you for tuning our way, whether you are watching on a Sunday or a Monday, whatever day it is. I pray the word is still the same as it was yesterday, is today, and will always be. Because the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, is in this word. And I just want to give thanks to God for the opportunity that we have, that we can gather together and to worship and to praise, and now to be able to be ministered to, both in the spirit, in the word, and it becomes the bread of life. My message this morning has to continue with the anointing. It continues with what would be life, and it comes in the form of what would be holy anointing oil. That comes from Exodus chapter 30, and again, which is incense or the perfume, the holy fragrance that also comes from Exodus chapter 30. Both of them combined comes to us for the use exclusively of God. And what is in the Old Testament is not only explained in the New Testament, but literally fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you walk with me through the scriptures, let's understand what this passage we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, particularly just after the glorious time of worshiping, praising God, through these holy 
moments that we just finished with the Lord's death, his burial, and resurrection, and what it means to us, particularly with the holy anointing oil, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and also of the incense, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that basically interprets into our life, manifested in our life in terms of living, spiritual, walking in the Spirit, and also with regard to incense of prayer, incense of praise, of intimacy with the Father, through Yeshua Amashia, our Lord, our Savior. The two passages I'll be speaking about this morning is from Exodus chapter 30. We've been doing that in a different vein, in a different light, but today we want to bring it into, this, into what would be what we're talking about, the death and the burial and resurrection and what it implies in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ living in us, for He is in us the hope of glory. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 30 and verse 23 and verse 24, we're, talked, we're talking about the holy anointing oil, and that's what 25 says. Let's read this. Take unto you, these are five principal spices of pure myrrh. That's number one. Number two, it is the sweet cinnamon. Number three, it is the calamus. And number four, you find in the next verse, cassia. And number five, it is uh, pure oil olive oil. These three are very important ingredients. Now, all of these three, I want to remind you, are basically uh, part of the ingredients that comprises of what, in verse 25, towards the end, tells us it shall be an anointing, holy anointing oil. So it is holy anointing oil, specifically and only for the use for God in the house of God, in the temple of God, so forth. It is used to anoint the people. It is used to anoint inanimate objects like the temple and the things of worship, implements of praise, implements of what would be temple service. And then on persons like the priests that offer the praise and offer the worship unto God and the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And then later on to the prophets and upon kings for specific reasons, that is for God and for his kingdom. Now, this is basically called the holy anointing oil. And I want to remind you, all of the five that we find this ingredient, it is all basically leading to what would or come out of extracts from plant, shrub, or what would be tree. Whether it be the petal, the flowers, whether it be the root, whether it be the resin, whether it be the skin of whatever the tree, the bark, everything combined, they form to be the ingredient that we just talked about in verse 23 and verse 24 that ultimately becomes the holy anointing oil. And I will tell you specifically, the Old Testament is fulfilled and explained in the New Testament in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, what we are talking about, the second aspect as compared to what we talk about, the holy anointing oil is what would be the holy incense or the perfume. So if you were to read in the same chapter and verse 34 and verse 35, you have four components or ingredient, and you find, take unto you sweet spices, number one, stache, onica, galbanium, and then frankincense of such there be lightweight. Now, this basically comprises in verse 35, we're talking about, you shall make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, 
or perfumer tempered together with pure and holy. And this becomes the incense in which the temple, where they would be using it in terms of waving it before the Lord in prayers, in praise. And this becomes very important. Now again, when you look at what you find, the holy anointing oil, or what would be the holy incense, they are exclusively for the purpose of God, for the purpose of the temple, for the purpose of glorifying God. Not to be counterfeited, not to be made light of, nor even to be put on people. Except when you find in the first one with priests and later on the prophets and the kings that they basically denote the kingdom of God. When you look at these uh, ingredients, you're going to find, as I mentioned, the first one has five. Literally all five of them are extracts from, I mentioned the plant, scrubs, trees, in many forms and many shapes, whether it be the bark or whether it be the peel or whether it be the resin or whether it be from the very uh, root itself. All of the aspects of these plants or tree basically form part of combination of this, uh, of the first one called holy anointing oil. Now, in the second one that is called the holy incense that is basically used in the temple, basically in the holiest of holiest to smoke, and this basically has a function of number one, sacrifice, of number two, smell, number three, smoke, and all of this, number four, it's sacrifice, they do not what is known as uh, sacrifice, uh, sweet-smelling server. It talks about sanctification that takes place in the wave offering of this uh, uh, incense that has a perfume to it. And this, again, is exclusively for God. For God. There are four ingredients when you read in verse 34, uh, verse 34 and these four ingredients, whether it be stake or Onika, Gabalim, or even the last one, frankincense, except for the second one, which basically is in doubt. It is basically, they consider the shellfish of a particular shell, of a fish, and that basically is broken, so you get that, uh, the blue uh, ink, uh, the blue uh, juice excretes that flows out. Apart from that, all the other three are plant-based, but all of them have to be broken, the extract is what would be forming the incense unto God. I wanted to know if, uh, to understand if one of them happened to be the snail, uh, basically from which the shell is broken, or whether it be planned, you find out of the four, all four, or three of the four are extracts from plants. Uh, one being, of course, uh, from shellfish, but all of them have to be broken to bring forth the incense. So out of this uh, five plus four, you find, except for one, all of them are extracts from tree, extracts from plant, extracts from shrub in so many ways. So whether it be in perfume of today, so much of flowers and so much of various many barks and, and sandalwood all put together, uh, thousands and thousands on brought together brings about what would be a small bottle of perfume, uh, exquisite and very expensive. Now, in the Old Testament, this was not for commercial use. It was purely, as I said, for the purpose of God, glorifying God, and for the purpose in temple use. 
Now, I want us to realize this aspect that I'm talking about has so much to do with extraction from the plant and from basically the shrub I mentioned, and how important it is because this becomes uh, what would be the basis of my message to you, talking about translating what would be the basis or the extract from this plant base into what would be holy anointing oil or holy incense or perfume exclusively for God. And that comes in the person of the New Testament fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Applied to our life, it speaks to us of what would be only oil of anointing upon our lives because of what Jesus Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection. All of this speaks about what would be put into the earth and then die and then again plucked out. All of this, a process of oil and a process of incense that is very important to us. That becomes to us not only of dying to self and living in Christ through, uh, with Christ in us, but also in form of intercession in form of uh, worship and prayers, all of this is included in this incense that basically is applied into our life, which was basically uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want us to understand, when you talk about whether the incense or the holy anointed oil, we need to understand so much is derived from plants. In fact, Almost all the things you find in incense, almost all the things you find in the holy oil, and in many ways have to do with plant, and uh, particularly when you do the biblical botany, you find that the Bible mentions so many trees and so many plants, and, and the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ has to do with, look at the lilies and how the Lord has wonderfully arid them and so forth, and he talks about... Uh, the mustard seed, and he talks about the sower that goes out sowing the seed, and all of this uh, uh, denotes something to do with farming, to do with trees, to do with seeds. And what the Lord says, for my father is the husbandman, simply meaning he's the farmer. In the old uh, English word, it simply means that Father God is the farmer. And he talks about him being the vine. He talks about we in him. And he tells us without him we can do nothing. And we are closely abiding or intertwined with him that we could produce fruit. And then he talks about the gardener, that's the father, prunes it. And there is time when he basically breaks us so that we would get more. But again, the basis of all of this, you would not get any of this unless the fruit, unless it's willing to die. In John chapter 12 and verse 24 forms what would be the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he was a corn of wheat that fell into the ground and it died, and because it died, it has brought forth much fruit and we are the result of that fruit. And what took place in Calvary is a sense of his death and what took place in Calvary is a sense of his burial and what took place in Calvary is a sense of basically the third day is rising again. In between, I talk about the spices with, uh, before his death three times and finally with Mary in Bethany and then on the day when he died, you find uh, Joseph uh, in his grave, but Nicodemus brings a hundred pound of uh, spices. Now, understand these spices are very expensive. They are imported, whether from all the way far east would be uh, sandalwood and many other expensive uh, part, but basically talks about myrrh, basically talks about frankincense. 
Now, what I want us to understand is when you think in terms of the Bible botany, actually the Bible begins with trees in the very first chapter. These trees are trees of where we get food from. And so in the end, in chapter 22, the leaves are for the healing of the nation. Right off the start, you're going to find in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, literally talks about the tree of life. And again, there's the tree, basically, of the fruit of the good and evil. Again, these two trees. Man, alas, ate the first tree, and lest eat touch the second tree and live forever in that imperfect condition, because he ate of that fruit that he God told him not to touch of the tree, he was forbidden, when you read chapter 3 and verse 24, to enter into, uh, into the garden, because lest he eat and live forever in that, uh, in that condition of sin, God had to keep a cherubim. So does it mean that man is forbidden? No, because of the tree and because of the one that died upon the tree who is called the tree or the branch and because he was cut, we're able to go and the book of Revelation chapter 22 towards the end tells us that we enjoy and eat of that tree of life and this is very powerful. Now I want you to understand all through the Bible is this uh, biblical botany playing out bringing to us into woven stories that is so marvelous, particularly when you read stories of the mulberry bush in First Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 14, David and the mulberry and how God brings the victory, or whether you read in terms of uh, right of uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 11, Noah in the ark, and that is the leaf of the olive that bring open aspiration that the um, flood is over and he waits a few more days until he sees the leaves for himself. So all of this tells us something very important in the meeting with God and Abraham. You find this very familiar and very fa important favorite place you find in Genesis chapter 18 and verse uh, 1. It says, under the tree of Mamre, that is where he has his intimacy with God, that is where he meets with God. Isn't it amazing that when you read the stories of what in the East is called Nirvana, it's always under a tree. But here you find a lot of things takes place in a tree, under a tree, over a tree. We'll read about it, but it's so uh, marvelous to read the Bible botany. And all this to say that trees play an important part, so much so when a blind man was healed, he was not totally easy, he says, I see men walking as trees until Jesus touches him again, and he sees men. So the trees, men walking as trees, all of this is basically, uh, looks like an apparition. But again, it's very much in line. This life is in the blood, in, in the human, as well as in animals, but life is in the sap that is in the trees. When you go into passages, you're going to find out how marvelous they are. In fact, uh, when Jacob wanted to please Pharaoh because he would be going there, what does he do? In Genesis chapter 43 and verse 11, he brings the produce of uh, the Hebrew land. And together with honey and spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, basically that is part of the many uh, fruits and uh, trees that is there in, the, in Israel. What is interesting is People are compared as trees in the Bible. So when you turn to 
I believe if you could turn maybe in chapter 49 and verse 22 of the book of Genesis, talking about Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful tree, bow, even a fruitful tree by a well whose branches run all over the wall. And it goes on to say he's directed, he's just uh, basically uh, cut and directed in the way he should go. So there is not simply running haphazardly wild, but being trained, and that's you can read in chapter 49, to become what would be a mighty man. So all of this is pictured so beautifully. It's basically there after 40 years in the wilderness that Moses is walking around in the wilderness, and what does he do in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2? He sees a plant that is on fire and yet not consumed. It is what you call a nirvana or a revelation. And then he hears the voice of God, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes, for where you stand is holy ground. So he beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. All of this brings us a picture of God beautifully interwoving a marvelous story of tree and the stories of trees all the way from the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so forth. If you were to take Numbers uh, chapter 15 and verse 25, what a marvelous picture of the water that is bitter and throwing off a twig, suddenly they find the water becomes sweet and that is a marvelous way uh, God brings about. I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 15 verse 25, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25, you find this passage, a tree which had cast into the water, the waters were made sweet. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 11 gives you a beautiful analogy of uh, basically the people of Israel, and you find um, curse, uh, you can read that. Uh, let's just go to Numbers, I believe, uh, in a passage uh, talking about in chapter 13 and verse uh, 23 most likely, but just let me just say the summary of it is the people come into Eskol, that is the promised land, and they bear what would be cluster of grapes and upon staff, and they brought out pomegranate and the figs. That is a beautiful picture. Again, Numbers chapter 19 and verse 5 gives you the rod of Aaron that basically bud, and uh, that is uh, probably uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, talking about the rod that budded. And again, it is just like a dead, dry uh, rod that suddenly becomes, and that was pictured in beautifully, and it is put into the holy place, a reminder of God's faithfulness, of God's choosing as he would by grace. Now, what all this implies is so marvelous because, again, the trees play a very important part, myrtle trees or broom tree that you call juniper. Remember Elijah? basically was depressed and discouraged, and where did he sit? In First Kings chapter 19, verse, five, verse 4, he sits under a juniper tree. That is a marvelous picture of a man not only finding in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 18 about Abraham, but here is a man who's discouraged in pondering and thinking, and then the voice of God says, what are you doing here? And so he's moving out into what would be destined to reach out and fulfill his job because it was not the end of life for him. It is a marvelous scene, particularly when you read Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3, telling us of man, a righteous man, compared as a tree planted by the water. 
That's so beautiful, isn't it? Again, Jeremiah talks about that in 17.5, but it's so beautiful. But I want you to listen carefully to what in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us, and verse 1 and 3 is a beautiful picture, telling us it came to pass so forth in verse uh, verse 1, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1 talks about what you see, and he says, I've seen... um, Gosh, we are somewhere off, but we basically sees an almond tree. That's the same thing what Zechariah sees both times in his dream, almond trees and trees, what do you see? And these trees in one of the pictures brings in what would be the anointing, and that would be dropping in. It's a marvelous picture of the tree that brings anointing. When you look in Matthew chapter 6 and you find a marvelous way it's interwoven. One of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is about the lilies of the field. Then he brings that beautiful picture. Again and again, the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ has to do with trees and plants and the mustard tree and so forth. It's, it's beautiful. It's put out in the picture of interwoven with the beautiful illustrations. He says the kingdom of God is like the mustard tree. And he begins with the mustard seed, so small, and yet what a large tree it produces. Now, all this to tell that in terms of incense, and in particular in terms of what you call the holy anointing oil, the extracts come basically from what would be the plants, the trees, and the shrubs from the land that they are used to. And it is out of this God brings about the holy oil, and what would be the incense. Both is a picture of what takes place in the temple, is a picture of what takes place through the Lord Jesus Christ, the tree, and ultimately picture of each one of us, an anointed life, as well as a life that will bring forth um, incense of praise, an incense of intercession, incense of prayer, a sweet fragrance uh, representing the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we begin this, I want to talk about, number one, the tree, number two, the tree of life, number three, it's talking about the tender plant, and number four, I will talk about the anointed oil, if we can do it in one uh, session today. Let me just talk about the tree, because it's very important we understand what it means. Uh, The way we need to understand is in Exodus chapter 30, and verse 23, verse 24, we read the only anointing oil that is found in verse 25 when we put these five components together this is the holy anointing oil now if you could turn with me to the presence that the wise men bring you find in Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 look at what he brings uh, they bring they bring the gold and they bring the um, frankincense and myrrh Combined together, all of them are down under, buried under, and then it has to be extravated and then brought out, whether it be gold. But when you look at myrrh, it comes from a tree. And when you look at frankincense, it also comes from a tree. What is interesting is they all have to go through a process, and very important for us to understand, when you think about 
the presence, they reflect not only in the life of Jesus Christ, but they represent all of this, the finest of gold, the finest of myrrh, and the finest of frankincense, speaks about the death, uh, his life, gold, and his teachings, and but not only that, suddenly throw in the myrrh, which is his death, and then bring in the frankincense, the fragrance of his resurrection, a beautiful picture of his life, with all his healing, with all his beautiful parables, and stories, and principles, and sermons, and teachings, and then suddenly you are He's cut off, as Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8 says, suddenly in the middle of life, and then you find he's raised up and becomes what would be the fragrance of uh, beautifully uh, frankincense. Uh, let's read about it a little later. But I want us to understand something very important when you think about the tree. This basically is so important because you find the reflection of it ultimately culminating in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 2. It is talking about the tree of life in the midst of the tree of, in the midst of the street and on the other side of the river there was the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits. So we're talking about the tree or is it the tree? Let's pause for a moment and think about these trees and what they represent and what they mean to each one of us. The tree is important, particularly when you think in terms of what takes place on that tree. Uh, if you turn to Acts chapter 5 and verse 30, that is the strength of the preaching of Pentecost as it was in the teachings of elsewhere in chapter 5 and chapter 10 and so forth. Here it says, the God of our fathers, that's their preaching, raised up Jesus whom you slew and hang it on a tree. Again, in chapter 10 and verse 39, the preaching again has to do with the tree. And we are witness of all the things which he, did, which he did, both in the land of Jews and Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. I want us to understand, very importantly, when you think about all of this, John chapter 15, we talked about, and verse 1, Jesus says, I am the wine. You must be connected to me. So when we talk about the tree, we're talking about not only the tree, but metaphorically the tree that basically pictures and represents and points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just take the number two, and we'll go into number four in just a moment. Number two has to do with the tree of life. So thinking about the tree of life, we're reminded of what Jesus Christ, he is the tree and the tree of life. But Let's go down again to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. And here you find what you, what you see in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. This is a picture. Blessed are they that do his commandments and that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. We're finding the Lord Jesus Christ is the door and he's the gate of the city and that you enter through him. Again, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, look at the picture that we find when Jesus Christ is speaking to the church. He that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I want you to realize when Christ comes into our heart, the hope of glory, paradise is in us, metaphorically, spiritually, but one day we will be in paradise, the real. Right now, the Lord is with us, but if we should ever 
basically die, we are with the Lord. One thing is for the Lord to be in us, another thing totally to really be with the Lord forever and forever. Now, I want us to understand very importantly, as I'm going to number three, this is very important because when you think in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah talks a whole lot about the Messiah. He's called the Messianic prophet. Somebody has said he's the fifth gospel. But he's in the Old Testament, and he's speaking to the Hebrew people, and yet to the nations far and wide, beyond the scope of one nation or beyond the scope of time. He goes through the corridors of time, looks into what would be time and in the future, and sees what takes place, and about this one, that he pictures it as the branch and the tree and so forth. But he talks about him as wonderful, mighty God, the everlasting Father, and so forth. What a beautiful picture of this one that is the everlasting Father, the Counselor, the mighty God. This is so beautiful. And yet, he also paints another picture about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is so astounding, and to the very subject I'm speaking to you this morning. What he says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, he's speaking about a tree. And yet, is it about a tree? He's speaking about the Lord Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of the dry ground, and he had no form, no calmness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. You know, it's wonderful to say a mighty oak, but he left the celestial city, the God of glory, the Lord and the King of kings, and he left by the word of his father, Yahweh, and he comes into the sin-sick world, but he doesn't come as a ruler. He will come later. But he comes in humble, tender. He comes with such humility. He comes born as a subjugated person. He knows everything that you and I go through. There's nothing that he does not know. He went through all of it. In other words, heaven knows the pain. Heaven knows all that we go through. And what you find as a tender, he who made all things, all things were made, were made by him. Nothing was made without him. And yet he stood before a proud Herod and a militant military man like Pontius Pilate and before the soldiers and before the mob of murderers and murderers. By the flick of a finger, he didn't have to do it. Twelve legions, just one angel, we are told, did away with 185 in the Old Testament, 1,000. And yet, not one but 12 legions were at his beck and call. He refused. He was a tender, tender plant, humble. That is the beauty of the Lord, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, coming down in the form of a man, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 onwards, humbled himself, taking upon himself the form of a man, not simply a man, he could, was not one who was proud and arrogant, not brought into the, some palaces, into a manger, humble and simple. Have you thought about the wood in Jesus' life? Think about the many ways in which we find. Remember, we learned in Sunday school about the tale of three uh, trees. Uh, you all know that. Three trees that grew up. Each one had a desire. One said, I like to be so tall, and yet I want to be used to become a, a chest 
where very important person would be put in. And that was his greatest desire. The second tree said, I wish I could be one that would take that majestic person on a boat. And the third person said, I wish I would hold the king that would be majestic before the whole world. Years later, they've grown up and the woodcutter comes in and he takes the first one and what does he make? He makes a throw, a wooden manger. And that was where Jesus was laid in a cattle shed. You find the second one, the woodcutter cups and shapes it into a boat and it is there the Sermon of the Mount as well as part of the sermons were put in the river apart from the mount. He went in the river and taught some great parables and healed the sick. It was in that wooden boat. Mind you, he was a carpenter. He played with woods all his life till the age of 30. But when you find the last one, he was put aside and ultimately Roman soldiers came and picked up the piece of wood, put a cross on it, and ultimately it became the place of crucifixion where the king of glory was hung and all the tree trees had a part to play. I want you to understand how important this tree, tender planned, and yet it speaks about so much about the Lord Jesus Christ. He met Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 42, and what a marvelous way, under a tree. And even while he was there, Jesus knew about Nathaniel. You find uh, the Zacchaeus, you find was a man that is in Luke chapter 19 and verse 4. He climbed up a sycamore tree and he comes to the very presence of the Lord Jesus when Jesus has come down. You know, there's a passage in Luke chapter 23 about one man who basically was hung on the cross, a thief. He had a bad past, no hope for a future except eternity lost. And yet, he looks to the one in the middle and recognizes this, uh, this is a sinless man. What caught his attention was he was like a tender plant, uh, so humble, not retorting, not uh, basically playing tit for tat. When all the abuses were, even the man across, the thief across were hurling a profanity, he, the middle one, just was the tender plant, taking it all in and taking all of it within his own heart. And he reached out to him and said, remember me. And Jesus said, Tonight you sh today, this day you shall be with me in paradise. But the center of it all was what would be the cross, the tree. And I'm not talking about the wooden cross. I'm talking about the tree, the tender plant that took our Lord of sin. He took our sin, he took our pain, he took our sickness, he took our curse, he took our condemnation, he took everything that was against us and the things that stood against us and he nailed it to that cross. Jesus becoming the cross, he who knew no sin became sin, he who never knew curse became a curse for us. He drank the dreck of that cup completely for you and for me and what you find again when you turn to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, Listen to what it says here. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Out of this plant, the extracts comes blood and water. Now I want you to understand, in just a moment, I will tell you about where this portion or what is the bleeding of a tree that produces the sap, that produces the perfume, that produces rubber, that produces almost everything that we basically take for granted. A tree 
has to be cut. A tree has to be broken. A tree has to be wounded. And this is the tender plan that was before. In other words, he had no form, no comeliness when he was on that cross, that we should desire him, that there's no beauty that we would want him. And yet he took upon our sins, our transgression, our iniquity, and he took upon himself and paid for our peace, and by his stripes we are healed. What I want us to understand so marvelously, in these prophets of old described the Lord Jesus in such a marvelous picture. Think with me what Isaiah again talks about Jesus. Yes, he talks about he's a wonderful, he's a counselor, he's a mighty God, he's the Prince of Peace, he's the everlasting Father. This is glorious title. All of them are true. We talk about particularly these uh, great uh, uh, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ during Christmas. Uh, but during Good Friday, we think of him as that tender plant. But let me remind you the way in which Isaiah talks about the Lord Jesus, like a plant. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Think with me of what he says here. He says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A branch shall grow out of his roots. I think it may be in um, Jeremiah 23 and verse 11, but Jeremiah talks about the branch. And elsewhere he talks about it as well. So marvelous picture of the branch. And uh, you find again Zechariah talking about uh, the branch, and the word branch is in capital if you turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. You see, Zechariah sees, like, uh, like uh, Jeremiah, the almond tree, but look at what he sees here. He says, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before you, for there are men wandered, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch in capital letters. This is the Hebrew scriptures. So we're talking about, is it the branch? John chapter 15 and the wine? Or is it just a picture of a, of a branch? Metaphorically, it all of this speaks about the ultimate, the reality of all that everything in the New Old Testament represents the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the branch. Now again, when you turn to Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, look again what Zechariah is saying in a beautiful picture again in capital letters. And speak unto him, say, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name, behold the man whose name is the branch. Look, the man whose branch, hold, hold it, hold it. Is, are we talking about a tree or are we talking about a man? It says, behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Are we talking about the third temple? Or are we talking about the ultimate temple? You are the temple of God purchased by his own blood, filled with the fragrance of his Holy Spirit. You are the church of God. And so when you look at it, it says, the branch, he shall grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple, the ultimate temple of the Lord. What a marvelous picture we find of this person called the branch. You can go through the Bible and see this beautiful picture interwoven. 
And yet, in a draconian way, Deuteronomy lays out a law, and you find it in between Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. Listen, cursed his are everyone, cursed is he that is hung on the cross, on, 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 hung, basically is cursed of God. And of course, the word crucifixion was not mentioned in those days. It came in Roman time. But here was one that was crucified. And you find in a marvelous way that what it means, Jesus took our curse. Look at what Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and verse 14 tells us. Let's read verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a cross. But because he went through that cross, where he, the tree, was broken, was punctured, was uh, cut, and out of that flow blood, redemption, we're redeemed. In verse 14 goes on to say that the blessing, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Blood and water flew from him. The blood, salvation, and the Holy Spirit coming immediately after that. What a marvelous picture we have of this precious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look again, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, beautifully put down by Peter, who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. Out of that wound comes the sap, comes what would be the healing. Out of that blood and out of that water, both what would be applied on the priest and applied not only the blood, but also the oil of the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to realize a very beautiful picture that you find in the Bible. You find the palm tree. You find the cedars of Lebanon. So many trees are mentioned. But among the trees, you're going to find that if you were to look for incense, if you were to look for sweet-smelling savour, or if you were to look for what would be the holy oil, it comes from the sap, it comes from the tree. The tree has to be tapped. And the word actually means bleed. And that is a common expression, a botanical term. Um, you can see that in many parts of the world. I grew up basically in, Indi in India, in where my parents come from, south very common to have rubber estate. And rubber is basically, comes out of a tree, it has to be tapped, and the word is bled. And it is the bleeding of a tree, it has to be cut. And then comes, the oozes out what would be the sap, what would be the white substance. And it's left for a few days, and then it becomes orderless like a rock. And then it is removed, and it goes through a process of the crucible, like a cross, crucible of fire. And that which was... Um, Orderless, painful, suddenly brings the greatest fragrance. It is like a resurrected of the whole tree. The sap is what comes out, whether it be in many plants where you get your best perfume from the roots or from the petals or from the flowers, from the leaves, whether it be in terms of medicinal or otherwise. Understand the Bible talks about 
the apotherapy uh, therapy basically is talking about an expert perfumer and uh, the word is not so much a sparamiqua of pharmacists but you're talking about the early people who brought about the medication through plants for healing is in the leaves and in the roots and in the bark of the trees and so that was how it was for the healing of the nation when you look at the beautiful way it's pictured it is also in a beautiful picture of a romantical book called the Songs of Solomon. And yet in a picturesque way, if you basically look at it, it looks like a perfect love story. And yet that love story has a terrible wound. It's basically colored in a rather subtle way. If you were to look to, uh, to Songs of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 9, Think about what it says, you have ravaged my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravaged my, uh, ravished my heart with one of your eyes, with one chain of your neck. You have ravished your heart. What you find is this word, like in many English words, a word could mean many different words, and yet you have in almost all the language one word, and yet it has... Uh, many, many different words. It's a matter of figuring out which word is where. And many a times the translators had difficulty trying to translate because there are some words that have no meaning. In one of the languages, in one of the countries, they didn't have the word snow. So they had invent a subject called the white of a coconut because they had plenty of coconut there to typify what a snow is because you put in the word snow, they didn't know what snow was. And so you understand there's a way in which language has too many words or language may not have that particular word. But in this, the words are ravished and that as a word, it is livabitania and it simply means wounded, cut, the sap may flow. So it says you have ravished my heart. In other words, the love that comes, comes oozing out because it has been pierced. It has been wounded. And understand this, God loved you with an everlasting love, with an ooze out love, a love that he looked at the cross. He could not behold his son, the sinless perfect, becoming sin and curse. That oozing love as a wound, perfect love, has such an oozing wound. Whether it's a love for your spouse, whether it's a love for your child, it's a love willing to be wounded. Out of that wound comes what would be oozing out such love. It is not simply what you call a honeymoon experience, it is in the crucible of challenge, pain, and in the time of very difficult situation, what oozes out through love will ooze out love abundant. And here is God's heart ravished by love. Here's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ ravished by love. And so you find a palm tree has been tapped. You find a rubber tree has been tapped. You find flowers have been crushed. You find many of the finest of the fruits have been taken into. So out of would flow medicinal or healing or what would be the sweet smelling perfume or the very oil that comes. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, 
It says there that Jesus was taken to Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means the place where the olives are crushed. You find Jesus Christ speaks about vineyard of grapes being crushed. But here you find the olives being crushed. Olive oil comes out of a crushing experience. And here he is being crushed totally. That sweat of blood came out. You find in that very field where crushing takes place, olive, where oil comes out, comes the crushing experience, ultimately at the cross, totally crushed. You know, it is hard to understand, and yet I want you to realize it comes out of a tree in the midst of life being cut. Let's read Isaiah 58, uh, 53 and verse 8 again. Look what it says here. It says he was taken from the prison, from the judgment. Who shall declare it? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Cut, cut, for he was cut out. And this is what happens to a tree if you have to get the sap, if you have to get the incense, if you have to get what would be the oil that comes, which is called the anointing, holy anointing oil. When you turn to John chapter 3 and verse 16, you can understand what it means. It says here, for God so loved, his heart oozing with love, with wound and yet loved the world, a sin-sick world, nothing but laughs at him, nothing but blasphemes is, a love that he gave his only begotten son, an only begotten son whose love, willing to sacrifice, that he would sanctify. That is what the incense does. That is what the only sanctifying oil does. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to remind you something so important when you look at these passages. It becomes very profound when you think about Again, the passage in 53 and verse 2, as a tender plant, he shall grow up before him. That was what he was tender. You could take him and break him. And he was broken for us. He was wounded for us. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. And he says he was wounded for our transgression. In other words, cut, broken. He was bruised, cut totally for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with stripes. So if you were to get something out, you peel out the outer layer. Out of that oozes out what you want, the sap. And by his stripes, we are healed. Let me just take you to the final one. And that is the last one I want to talk about the anointing oil. Remember what I mentioned in chapter 30 of the book of Exodus and verse 25 towards the end? This shall be for you an anointing oil. This is an anointing oil. I want you to picture the word anointing. In the Hebrew, the word is Messiah. In the Greek, it is Christus. And in English, it is Christ. 500 times in the New Testament, the word anointing or Christos is written. Just in Colossians alone, when Paul is writing, the word is used 24 times. That is marvelous. Repeated this, Christos. How is he introduced? Matthew wonderfully introduces the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look how he introduces him in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16. This is the way that Matthew introduced the Lord Jesus. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Yeshua, who is called anointed. In other words, he is the anointed oil. He is the anointed incense. That's a beautiful interwoven picture that you find of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word anointing is all over the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how that Jesus was anointed, went about doing good, healing all manner of sicknesses. The very touch of him, the anointing flowed out. It was like the healing just flowed out. That was the anointing. It was just like the peace flowed out. That was his blessing. It was paid for at the cross. And everything you find that comes out, it doesn't come from a man. God can use a man. He would be losing his mind if he thinks it's him. He's just used, like a donkey is used, like a raven is used, like an instrument is used, but the glory is the one who used him. He is the one who is anointed. He's the one that brings the healing. He's the one that brings the salvation. He's the one that reaches out and touches life. All of us at best are unprofitable servant that the anointing of God is using us to bless others and to God alone be glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to understand, my friend, what a marvelous way he begins his ministry. When you begin in Matthew chapter 3, but in Luke chapter 3, he find, you find him in the wilderness, and there's uh, basically temptation, all of that. But in chapter 4, he comes out and something happens. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, the sweet anointing of the Spirit of God. This is his mission, this is manifesto, this is his motto, and this should be ours as well, individually and collectively as a church. When you read Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, listen to this word. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has Christo anointed, the anointing, sweet anointing oil, the sweet incense to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty. That is the anointing. And when God uses you to do any one or all of it, remember, it's the sweet anointing that comes all the way that is exclusively for God and to the glory of God, not for you. You're only being used, but used for His glory. Not to build your kingdom, not to build your plane, but it is to give glory and honor to God. What a marvelous way you find the anointing that comes upon David or whether it comes upon Saul. Saul was so unworthy, his heart was thankless, and yet David, no matter how marked his life has been, was ever grateful for the anointing. At one time he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The anointing was treasured by him. And I want you to know this should be our desire as well, particularly when you read Psalm 23 and verse 5. It says, you have anointed, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Sweet anointing, incense of God. All the 
anointing, holy anointing of God, may it be upon our head. It comes upon the head of Aaron in Psalm 133, 33 and verse 1. It flows from his head all the way down to his beard and goes all the way down. Behold how good and pleasant it is. That anointing, the incense comes upon us. That is the sweetness and the power of God. When you look at it, my friend, on the day before, a few days before he was to go to the cross, three anointing we talked about, the beginning of his ministry, and then as it comes, six days and finally two days, you find in Bethany, Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping it with her own hair. Preparing the Lord Jesus Christ there as a memorial it will be for her, preparing him for his burial. The day he said, Lord, into your hands I place my spirit, and he basically closed his eyes, and then when he brought body was brought down, what a marvelous picture you have of Nicodemus coming to the chief and saying, give me the body of Jesus. And he brought with them a hundred pounds of sweet anointing spices. And yet, on the third day, the woman went out. They had marked the grave where he was. They knew exactly where it would be. And they went to anoint. But when Jesus rose, there was a sweet fragrance. But let, remind you, let me remind you a very important teaching that... Uh, that you find in the book of Acts over and over again. I talked about chapter 5 and verse 10. I talked about chapter 10 and verse 39. But listen to what it says in Acts chapter 13, and I believe it could be verse 29. And it says here, when they had fulfilled all that was written, they took him down the tree and nailed him to a sepulcher. And you find the tree again, and then when he was taken out of the sepulcher, it is Nicodemus who brings the sweet anointing. Three days... He was down in the heart of the earth, and when he arose, it was the sweet aroma of his fragrance. And that is what Paul writes about this when you read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Christ who has loved us has given himself for us as an offering, as a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling savor. And this is what he writes to the church in Corinth, that we should bring about this, and this is what it calls in the anointing, in that sweet anointing oil, that is what is called in the incense, that we would lift our worship as he did, as the high priest of our calling, giving glory to the Father in his name, coming to the Lord in prayer, what will we ask in his name? And that is the sweet aroma that goes up in a marvelous way, whether it's before the saved or before the unsaved. So what a wonderful picture he gives, I believe, in Second in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Look at the picture he gives about that anointing that you find. It's talking about the fragrance of God. It is before the saved and the fragrance before the unsaved. So coming back to chapter 30, verse 23, 24, and verse 25, simply tells us that is called the sweet anointed oil of God. It speaks to us all the way through Jesus, where all the promise, even Abraham's blessings, comes upon us, anointing upon us. 
And then in chapter 34, uh, 30 and verse 34, we're talking about the incense that goes in the temple, the incense that is done before God. You can find the smoke. You can find the sanctification. You can smell the sweet-smelling Sabbath. All of this is sanctification, S-S-S, constantly before God. And we are to God a sweet-smelling Sabbath. We are to God to be sanctified. We are to God to be a sacrifice to God that is simply to say, giving glory and honor and praise to God. Shall we stand as I pray a prayer? Oh, sweet, precious anointing of God. What a precious oil you are to us. Oh, precious incense of God, our Lord, our Savior, God's greatest gift. May you fill us with that holy oil and anoint our head with oil, that oil runneth over. May, oh God, you anoint our face, it would shine before you. The, your face would shine upon us and your favor would be upon us. And may you help us, oh God, with the incense as we intercede, as we give glory, as we give praise, in good times and in bad times, because you've called us to be a priest after the order, even of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would be priest unto you, as Peter tells us, as the book of Revelation tells us, priest and kings unto God, to our Father, in Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.